This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to a special edition. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. This is a special edition. I'm your host, Craig Patterson. I'm also the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider. Today, we're joined with George Minikakis. He's the CEO at Inception Retail Group Incorporated, and he's also got an extensive history in the uh, retail industry in Canada and beyond as well. So welcome to the program today, George. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about uh, what we were seeing in retail uh, prior to this COVID-19 shutdown that we're currently experiencing. Well, it was far more positive news. Um, obviously, you know, there were retailers operating at the time. And that's only, you know, what's six, seven weeks ago. But, um, it, you know, 2019 was, uh, again, another year of, uh, of closures. But it was also a year that we saw more retailers making the right transitions with their digital mastery uh, and moving their businesses closer to being uh, better at e-commerce and responding to that and building it. So it looked far more promising. Um, And all of a sudden in January, in full disclosure, I was tracking the virus for business purposes. Uh, We knew there was a problem. We knew that it uh, it was impacting the consumers. So we started tracing backwards uh, out of China, looking at the other Asian countries, what were happening, what was happening in them. And we started identifying, boy, this comes our way, it's going to be trouble. Um, and it, sure enough, it was, uh, or has been. Uh, but it's interesting is that, you know, we also talked in 2019 about what was that major shift that could happen that could move the public consumers more towards e-commerce. I don't, no one ever thought that it would be a pandemic, but this is the tipping point um, that's making that shift. And we're seeing it. Uh, there are a lot of businesses that are still thriving, um, not as well as they, as they could be or the volumes they were doing, but they're still generating revenue. And, um, you know, and it's interesting to see who was really prepared um, for e-commerce to come in and uh, to kick it, to kick into gear and maybe even double their volumes and who would be able to manage it. And, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, grocery, we've been talking, a lot of people have been talking about grocery, for example, for some time um, and how they could, you know, gain an opportunity in home delivery. Well, it certainly uh, looks like not all of them had that uh, plan in place um, <laughs> because, you know, if you try to order online, it could be a couple of weeks before you get a delivery. Um, you know, if you try to pick it up, uh, we try it because we live in a rural area. So we tried to see if we could order it, pick it up. It told us nine days before we could do curbside pickup. Wow. Um, so it's uh, been, a ch- I think it's a challenge for everyone, even in spite of the fact uh, that this is uh, a very a tragic event. Um, you know, it's uh, going to be an incredible learning experience for everyone uh, that operates in retail today. Uh, small, mid-sized businesses, uh, all of them. Um, they're going to do some serious learning it right now. Yeah, let's talk a bit about the consumer. Um, we had an article. You were in an article in Retail Insider uh, quite recently, and uh, you were discussing uh, the consumer and how they may, well, they will change, um, given a bit of the uh, fear around the pandemic, as well as what habits are being formed. Sure. You know, let me start off with this and say that you know. You can mandate uh, the opening of the economy. Uh, you can mandate people back to work, but you, can man- you can't mandate them back to shopping the way they used to after this. Um, it's going to, it's, you know, I mean, I, I think all of us are apprehensive or scared. Um, you know, uh, 
I was a line in a lineup at Costco a week ago. Um, everybody, just about 80% of them were wearing masks and gloves. Um, and I thought that was uh, an interesting uh, transition because they seemed, didn't seem to be bother them to doing that. Um, and I, and I, you know, I think that all of this, um, you know, the social distancing, you know, wearing gloves and masks, more higher, better hygiene, uh, all of these things are changing behaviors uh, at home. Um, and we're going to translate that once uh, the get back to work message comes out in a few weeks, uh, four or five of them. Um, you'll see, we will all see just how uh, nervous everybody is. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people out there uh, without wearing a mask or, or something to cover their face and protect themselves. I mean, unless they've had the virus or they've been spreading it, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, but you know what I've done though is um, uh, we broke out uh, what kind of behaviors uh, we think we will see in the public and uh, we came up with four of them, and one of them is uh, uh, sensible participants, and we, we see that being like around 25% of the population who are excited about everything getting back to normal, and you know, they may be younger, uh, you know, we don't, I, don't I, I really haven't pegged it to a generational, but it will be. Um, and then you have the rational apprehensives, which I think is probably 50% of the population. Um, they want to get back out. Uh, they want to return to work, but, you know, getting on transit, um, going into a grocery store, going into a restaurant, a lot of things are going to change in that, those environments. Um, you know, and social distancing, I don't see that going away anytime soon. So uh, they're going to be the ones that are really, who are out there and are going to be looking to make sure that a lot of those best practices for health and safety are in place. Um, and then we have a third group, there's four of them actually, the third group is... Um, they're irrational, apprehensive. So there's your, they're your hypochondriac, right? <laughs> um, really worried about going back out front, out, out there. They, you know, I don't. Again, I don't want to use demographics, but um, it could be because they're older. Uh, it could be because they have underlying issues, uh, or just simply just afraid of catching the virus and being a victim to it. So uh, they're the ones that are going to take much longer to uh, get comfortable and get out there back to any kind of normal, new normal. Um, but that will take time, and I, I you know, and I, I really believe that these are the ones that are going to want to see the vaccine, have the vaccine before uh, they get back to that. And look, I, I also think that the all first three groups, um, they're going to be moving more and more towards e-commerce, you know, what because of whatever environment they don't feel comfortable in. Uh, and the fourth one, um, you can't have sensible participants with, without having somebody who's insensible. Uh, and I refer to them as the insensible risk taker. Um, you know, we're seeing them in the media today in the U.S. rallying out the streets. Uh, thankfully, I haven't seen that in Canada yet. Uh, but they're not going to wear masks. Uh, they're not going to respect social distancing. Uh, and it's quite possible that they'll be the first group you, in, you, know, you encounter in your stores uh, where you're trying to keep uh, some measure of control. Uh, and protocols and, and protocols and safety protocols that are put into place. So I, I think that uh, these four groups are going to be what we encounter. Um, but again, you know, I've been, you know, Craig, I've been looking for one word to define um, all of this as well. Um, and demand is that word <coughs> that people will be, um, you know, retailers are going to be looking for that demand to be, you know, and, and hoping that. They can go back to pre-pandemic levels, which is not reality, mm. um, not for some time. 
And I, I did a post uh, the other day and, you know, uh, I plugged some numbers in and I'm just basically saying, look, uh, it, it could take um, 12 months before we get to a place where we're anywhere near to a pandemic level um, or a pre-pandemic level. <coughs> and even then it might only be 10% of uh, a minus 10 to uh, that pre-pandemic. So it could take time uh, before we get that. So I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be overly optimistic that we're going to get there quick. Uh, because of these four groups, uh, I, I think retailing and all businesses, by the way, uh, are going to see uh, a lower demand because everybody's going to be very cautious uh, coming out of the gate. So what would happen if we had a second wave or multiple waves of COVID-19? Uh, this is something that's definitely being discussed right now. Well, that means I don't come out. <laughs> it's, I'm staying home. Me too. Uh, you know, it's 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 high prob. It, there's a good probability for for it to happen. Um, you know, and I think that part of that is if if we rush getting back out too quickly without any protocols in place, we could make things worse. Um, but you know, I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. You know, what I've read is what you've read as well. Um, that the the winter months uh, or the colder months as we head into the fall with the flu and everything can become more problematic. Uh, overall, um, if that were to happen, though, I you know that would and that would not be a good thing. Overall, I think retrenchment of the consumer would become even deeper. There will be, you know, I could see that the uh, uh, rational and irrational apprehensives will dig in deeper um, and very reluctant to get out there and move more to e-commerce. And I've seen some data coming out of the U.S. Um, it's kind of hard to get numbers in Canada, but uh, data out of the U.S. They're almost showing uh, that uh, uh, e-commerce will double over the next 12 months, um, taking U.S. from 15 to 25 or 30 percent, uh, which is, that's, that's, that's an amazing number. But I, I think what they're doing is factoring in a lot of this. Uh, you know, and back to the main question here, you know, I, I believe that we should be paying attention to what Germany is doing. Hmm. You know, they're stay, taking time to do this. Um, opening up only large stores, uh, large centers to begin with, to give that social distancing the opportunity. Um, you know, again, you know, if you think about it, how do you, how do you manage social distancing if a second wave comes out? Uh, I think people are just not going. You know, there it's, there's small spaces are going to have a tough time uh, managing traffic. Um, they're so tight in merchandising and displays. Um, I, I think that the second wave can be very hurtful to business more so, and it'll drive far more failure, not to be negative, but, um, you know, after two or three months of the first, you know, coming out now, um, if the volumes are as low as I think they'll be, uh, we'll see, we'll see, uh, changes in retail in terms of who's operating. If the second wave comes, the, all of that can happen a lot faster for more, mm -hmm. um, and that, and that would be a real concern if we don't manage. And I, I think all of this comes down to managing um, our, our exit to the uh, to the outside world the first time around. Yeah. What would in terms of um, timelines for say retailers that were looking to file? Um, would you expect to see uh, some coming in in the summer here, or more say January twenty twenty one? Or do you have any sort of a, an idea what the timeline could look like? Okay. So I you know I think that it, there's definitely. Uh, if you're a large retailer and you're worried about your future right now, uh, you and your management team, your lawyers and your accountants are together 
Um, you are planning uh, bank bankruptcy protection and you are looking at restructuring. Um, I, I, I believe that that's part one. Uh, I don't think you can do it while you're closed. So in the next two to three months, uh, you, we, will, we will see um, who's, who's making those moves. Uh, the smaller retailers, I, I sincerely believe, and mid-sized ones, in the next three to four months, um, as they start running out of cash and other alternatives, um, and we may never hear of the small ones. You know, we may just seek store closures, but we may never hear of the small ones. Mid-sized ones, certainly. You know, if they can't restructure, the mid-sized ones, they can't restructure um, within six months. Um, you know, I, I just don't, some of them are, I don't see them being able to get the kind of deals um, at the table unless government intervenes and tries to keep them open. So this could result in a substantial number of, say, retail vacancies uh, or probably worse restaurants uh, in terms mm -hmm. of, say, the commercial real estate aspect to things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, happen, I won't mention names, but I happened to be on the phone with a developer and uh, uh, their, their belief was that, you know, about, about 25% um, of, of their, uh, their tenants are, are in trouble and uh, that they're most likely will close. So that's a, it's a pretty hefty number mm -hmm. when you think about it. Um, and yeah, restaurants, um, very challenging environment. I saw, I saw a, uh, uh, a forecast coming out of the U S that only 50, they had, they only did Gen Z and, uh, millennials and at 55% of them said they would go out after, uh, so, uh, after, uh, isolation has been lifted, but I'm not sure if isolation means social distancing, uh, only five to 55% of them were go out to restaurants again. Um, well, think about that. So you're going to have social distancing in a restaurant and only half of the pot, half the traffic coming in. Um, how do you survive in that? Right. I mean, if you had a hundred seating, a capacity of a hundred seating, now you've got a capacity of uh, only allowed 55 or 50. Um, what happens to what kind of volumes do you need to drive in order to be successful? Uh, and um, I, I think what I've been telling folks, you really need to be thinking about um, what you need to do to get to break even, not just uh, thinking about last year or a couple of months ago, what you were at. Trying to figure out how low, how low your volume can go um, so that you can get to break even. Otherwise, um, if you're trying to reach for the stars right away out of coming out of the gate, um, that's just a recipe for, for failure for sure. And a lot of um, you know food service like restaurants, uh, the margins can be quite low anyways. Like they'd almost have to double their prices if they had you know half of the traffic. And if that were to happen, you're going to have you can might as well cut that traffic into another half. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know how you how you would do that. But, uh, you know, I, I do believe that um, there's a significant opportunity because something was already happening in the restaurant industry. Uh, with uh, with uh, the, the likes of uh, Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes and some others out there, they were already taking revenue away from the restaurants uh, with home delivery. Because I know that I saw some research in Canada that showed that restaurants were losing in volume uh, and losing because of alcohol beverages. So they weren't getting desserts, they weren't getting the second ancillary sales out of that. Um, so I mean that because of that, it was already a transition. Uh, if they're smart about this, if the restaurateurs are smart about this, they'll really double down on delivering to homes um, and keep their restaurants open at the same time. So uh, there's a little bit of work to do there, uh, and hopefully they can get better costs on delivering because I know they lose on margins there too. Yeah, it's huge, like 25% in some cases or 30 yeah. even. It's a lot of money.
Goodness. And back to physical space, um, shopping centers, uh, you know, in the article that uh, we had you quoted and you were talking a bit about enclosed malls versus not, uh, um, what might we see in terms of, uh, say, you know, traffic in a mall and, and what might be done to uh, better, you know, make consumers feel secure about, say, going actually into a shopping mall again that has a roof on it, for example? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, how do you, you know, so I'll, pose, I'll start this with a question. How do you manage traffic in a mall? Um, you know, do you have the, your public consumer walking, if incoming traffic going east, outgoing traffic going west? Um, and if you want to make a turn and see the other side of the mall, do you, um, do you have to turn, make a left somewhere in the center court? Uh, I've tried to play with this in my, in myself and figure out how they could pull it off. Um, but then what do you do about getting into a store? In the mall, right? I mean, if it's a, a if it's a great uh, operator, um, you know, they have good traffic, but you know that displays and merchandising takes up a lot of space. Um, so how do you uh, social distance in there? Um, you know, and sure, you can have staff with masks and gloves. You can manage through all of that. Um, you know, I, I think we've all heard that um, some retailers don't allow you to try on clothing right now. So how does that change things? I, 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 there's a lot of question, question marks behind this. And then think of the food courts, Craig, right? I mean, if you go to some of these, the coffee shops, and I mean, they're lined up, right? So uh, how long does a line look with social distancing? Um, and is it feasible, right? So I, I think there's a lot of challenges here. Uh, but again, if I come back to, you know, those apprehensive consumers, are they going to enter that environment? Um, you'd have to, con uh, an a mall operator will have to convince them that they, they can manage the traffic, keep the social distancing, and give you the pleasure of shopping. Because why do you go to a mall? I mean, most people, some people may be in a rush, but most people go there for their own retail therapy, right? Um, that's not retail therapy if you're wearing a surgical mask um, and wearing surgical gloves. Uh, there, there's no real browsing. You're in and you're out. So I think it's challenging. And that brings me back to, you know, the open air centers like the uh, uh, the the, uh, the the value mall up here uh, on at Trafalgar Road in the 401. Um, that that's wide open. Uh, the stores are bigger. They might be able to manage social distancing better. Um, but again, they have a lot of small stores too. How do you handle queues uh, that have to be six feet apart? Again, a lot of challenges. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know that anybody's thought these out yet. And then, if you do think them out, who's going to who's going to propose what those what what those uh, protocols are, and how are they going to get regulated, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot there, uh, and I and I don't have the answers. I just I can come up with all the uh, challenges, um, and think through what how you you need to make this happen. But either way, it's lower traffic, right? Lower mm -hmm. because there are people who are reluctant and lower because you can only move so much traffic uh, into a center uh, appropriately. Uh, I, I don't know how you do that uh, in this environment, and that may take time. And on top of that, um, I, was, I was listening to a webinar with a major landlord who was saying that they were looking at actually, say, reducing the hours in their shopping center properties, which again is going to create less opportunity for that volume. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, is, is another whammy right there as well. Um, 
Now, another thing that was we were talking about was um, the customer experience. I mean, everything that we've learned about retail almost seems to be thrown out the window. Uh, you know, have a experiential store. You go in, you have a, a great experience, one on one interaction with, uh, uh, say, uh, you know, a, a sales associate. I don't know if I went into a store, I, you know, I wouldn't want anyone, you know, speaking moistly on me as, as our prime minister has coined the term, but, you know, um, having, having almost a contactless experience seems like it would be, you know, the best at the, at the moment. Uh, uh, how is this going to change retail? I mean, it's, it's could be quite profound. It, it will be. And, you know, I, you know, and I come from a world, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, you know, very customer, uh, sensitive, you know, it's, you're, you're in the customer's face quite a bit. It's personalized service, um, you know, from premium and, and luxury side. And it becomes, you know, how do you do that, right? Are you going to feel comfortable if you walk into a luxury store and I'm wearing a mask and I'm handing, helping you try on a, a shirt or a jacket? I mean, it, it becomes problematic, um, you know, and I think that the opportunity here now is because we know um, there'll be less traffic you can actually work on personalizing service a little bit better without having, you know, try and keeping that social distance. So I, I ch my challenge to every retailer is start thinking about what that looks like uh, for your brand. Um, but if you're a retailer that uh, sells a lot of uh, general merchandise, then, then you're in a world of delivery or curbside. And the things that I suggest there, and I'm, I call it fast, F-A-S-T, um, the F is for filling the complete order. Um, the A is for accuracy of the order. Uh, the S is for speed with which you can deliver or create that pickup. Um, and the T is really about the ability to build future transactions. So, you know, if you start thinking about it this way um, and you get good at this, you're going to learn some really very important consumer behaviors that you can then later on when things really do get back to normal and translate them into that personalized service a bit more. Hmm. Um, I, I really believe that there exists an, an opportunity there. Um, I, my first role, world role, retail role was uh, working for PepsiCo. Um, and I came out of the restaurant industry. We did delivery. And I can tell you that there is much service aspect to that as there is being in person to person. Um, and uh, there's all the difference there. It can make all the difference on, 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 a, on repeat business, on how you deliver. You know, and that might mean uh, getting creative, where um, you know, when you're, if you're, if it's, let's say it's groceries or something coming out of a hardware store, um, is there a gift? Are there points to be, you know, can you earn points? Is there a surprise that you give inside those packages? Because you need to be able to retain that business because if you're struggling with speed, um, you need to enhance whatever that experience is going to be with something else so that they can keep coming back until you get better at some, some crucibles of this. And it will take time, but uh, ultimately um, that service experience that everybody's been working at, and I have to, have to admit, um, when I, every time I hear customer, the term customer experience or experiential exper uh, retail service, uh, there's a grin on my face because it sounds like every, we've discovered something new, um, but it's been around for a long time. Um, it, not everybody's good at it. And my, my, my challenge back to everyone right now would be if you want to start improving, um, start looking at what luxury brands are going to do. 
Mm. Um, that will give you some sense of what you're capable of doing and to enhance your business as well. Uh, I think that's a key thing because now the touch points, um, because they are not personal and there's no contact, it's contactless, that really makes uh, a bit of a challenge and you're going to have to get very creative. Until innovation kicks in enough, um, the technology can enhance that customer experience. Um, that's going to be a while. You know, I hear a lot about AI, but it's not the robotics aren't there for sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I I do some studying of uh, luxury retail and and two things you brought up. I mean, number one, uh, you know, some of the really fancy stores, especially in Vancouver, have personal shopping suites where you can meet one on one. But then secondly, it's personal shopping, so you're not with you know any other customers. I mean, uh, this might be harder to do in a store like say an H and M or you know a teeny tiny little store in the mall or on the street, but. Uh, yep. um, yeah, that sort of personalized customer service might be might be the thing, but maybe at, at a six foot distance. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you know, it's it's the comfort level of everybody, right? So um, I, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how the public that's had this virus are they going to be out there without a mask? And uh, you know, I, I'm questioning what happens by way of hiring as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious how that translates our are we going to be more focused on trying to hire people who've had the virus or have immunity to it? And I, I, I'm curious if, uh, if something happens there. And I would not be surprised if it did. But I, I'm sure it would raise a lot of questions uh, from a human resource point of view and, and equality, everything. I'm sure there will raise questions. Yeah, that could bring up claims of discrimination potentially. Well, you haven't Absolutely. had it yet. We're not going to hire you. You're yeah. 55 years old and... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I hope it doesn't, but I, I'm curious um, if anybody's going to try it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there's technologies. I know that TNT, the grocery store uh, in Canada, is actually, uh, in some or all their stores are checking temperatures of customers yep. coming in. Yep. Um, there's probably a whole privacy uh, issue around this, uh, ultimately, uh, not to mention the tracking of people. And uh, and sp speaking speaking of uh, privacy and uh, lack thereof, China. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> let's talk about what's happening in China right now because they're they're a little bit ahead of us. I mean, whatever data we can and information we can trust coming out of China right now. Uh, tell me a little yeah. bit about because you've got a bit of a background with the country as well. Yeah, I used to live there yeah. for three and a half years. Um, so you know what? Yeah, China China is a good example. Um, you know, and I keep telling everybody, you know, you. What you need to do is you need to separate what someone wants you to believe is going on in China versus what's actually happening in China. Um, so you need to cut through the rhetoric, and you know, and I think more. I think China's feeling the the pressure a little bit, and there's more details coming out of how rea what reality is like there. Um, but you know, I think one good example is um, you know because H and M actually did this publicly, so in their in their MDNA, so I, I don't mind mentioning them. But they showed their 14 week period. Um, during the virus um, and the last five weeks um, leading out of the virus. And then in those last five weeks, 90% of the stores were open and we saw trends of a minus 79 to, to, to their base to a minus 23 in the last week of that 14 week trend. So it, it goes to show you that um, volumes <clears throat> don't go back up to uh, to that, so it just kind of reinforces that. But uh, I also came out across a report um, from the Chinese government 
um, that was alluding to the retail performance in the consumer market being a minus 15 currently, hmm. which would make sense, right? Um, so I, I really believe that you know the reality is um, I even knew somebody in the restaurant industry there and I, and I reached out to them and said, is this, are you, I know you're open, but is everybody back? And she, and they, she basically responded back and said, who's supposed to be back? Uh, customers. Yeah. We're still looking for them. Mm. Um, they're just not, they're avoiding the restaurants. Um, very few are walking in. Um, but they're also, um, uh, very reluctant of foreigners now too, as you, as you know, um, in China. And um, so, you know, I, I could see some things that are changing that we will probably recognize as well is that um, they're reluctant to travel now. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you probably know this, but um, to Chinese consumers as tourists, um, Italy is the number one destination. Yeah. Right. So you can only imagine what happens that what will happen to uh, luxury and premium sales in Italy because of this. Um, but I, I, I believe what we'll start seeing as, as the Chinese consumer gets more comfortable, and it'll take, probably take a few more months, is that the luxury and premium brands in China will start showing very, very strong sales mm -hmm. because they're not, you're not, they're not going to be traveling uh, overseas as much. I can see that happening. Um, so I, I believe that we can see that kind of trend as well uh, in, in North America and Canada. Um, where we probably will make our purchases here versus maybe going to uh, uh, going somewhere else mm -hmm. to make them. Um, but the trend, though, Craig, you know, I, I, I really believe uh, the first couple of months are compared to whatever the base what your base was uh, pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it could be at best might be a minus you know minus fifteen minus twenty five for for many. Um, we're starting out of the gate, minus 50, minus 70, um, pre-pandemic. And then, like I said earlier, you know, you might get to a minus 10 or a minus 15. Uh, and, and that may be the trend for a while uh, until uh, we get an all clear. But, um, you know, it's, you know, store, shops are open in China. Uh, social distancing is there. Uh, I'm used to the Chinese wearing, consumers wearing masks because they were wearing them back then. Um, so I, I, I believe we're going to see, we're going to continue to see that. Uh, but we have to walk slowly, um, walk this very slowly into opening because uh, I'm really concerned if we move too fast, um, we're just going to, we're going to have health issues a lot faster than we need them. Um, you know, and I, and I heard today um, that the, the argument around flattening the curve has always been that we've known um, that everybody's going to get this virus um, and that we're all, everybody's heading towards herd immunity. Well, that's a frightening thought uh, in itself for a lot of people. Um, uh, so I think that as that becomes more apparent, uh, it'll certainly keep volumes, uh, volumes from hitting the kind of thresholds that you expect them to hit. But the learning out of China has been uh, good. I think watching what happens in Germany would be uh, uh, because they'll be more transparent, will be very relevant too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think even in Italy, which is kind of incredible given the numbers and the growth in uh, in COVID nineteen, uh, they're looking at starting to open certain things up as well. I think the Germany was schools. Yeah. 
in terms of categories that will recover faster than others, um, do you have any insight into, uh, you know, say fashion retail versus, uh, you know, jewelry, other categories, optical, um, in terms of, you know, uh, where we might see the quickest recovery uh, in retail as stores start to open again? I think whatever, whatever business does not have a lot of personal touch uh, will recover the fastest. Hmm. Um, you know, provided um, that the traffic, uh, the ability to manage traffic is there. Uh, I, I believe those, and I, I can't say specifically who, but uh, the less contact there is, uh, the more freedom to shop uh, without engaging someone or, and running into other customers. Uh, those are the ones that I think, I believe, uh, will do better initially. Um, I can tell you that uh, eye care, um, you know, they, there'll be a lot of protocols in place, but I, I think initially it'll be because I need to go, I broke my glasses or I really need a new prescription. Um, dentistry, you know, I mean, that, from what I've heard, they're closed for the balance of the year hmm. because there's just too much spray and they only do emergencies. Um, but, you know, jewelry for sure, you know, I mean, because there's, there isn't, um, you know, there isn't that much um, human contact, you know, but it's, but it is up close. Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to have to continuously clean counters, clean door handles. I mean, a lot of those steps are going to have to be taken um, to keep, uh, to keep it healthy, healthy and clean. Uh, but I, I just have a hard time, you know, the groceries for sure, you know, hardware stores, they're big enough. Um, you know, they have enough footprint, um, as long as they're managing their queues, uh, I think that that will be fine. Uh, but smaller stores, tough. Um, you know, when you look at small businesses, there have been a lot of failures over the, you know, every year there's a number of failures that happen. Um, and for every 90,000 that may close, there's 90,000 that open. Uh, I think that, uh, I, I know, I, I believe that, uh, that necessity is going to create a lot, a lot of, bring, bring in a lot of ingenuity into this equation. Um, the SE commerce will grow, um, but I also believe that there will be new retailers uh, that come in, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I think the small business retailers are gonna be able to engage the middle uh, very in, in the future. Um, so a lot of them are gonna have uh, a lot of footwork to do to get there, um, and I'm hoping uh, that uh, a lot of them have been smart about this uh, and not just sitting back worried about how they're going to open, but thinking about how they're going to uh, let their customers know that they're back and how safe they make the environments. That'll be key to uh, making a healthy recovery. Well, thank you so much. That was uh, George Minakakis. He's the CEO of Inception Retail Group and is a retail expert. He's uh, worked with various companies over the years. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Uh, we'll have uh, George's bio and link on the uh, website as well as the article where he was quoted uh, recently in Retail Insider. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Take care and be safe.